a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. Right, it's that time. Time for some politics. I'm joined by Vivian this morning. Morena to you. Morning, how are you? I'm all right. And yourself? Oh, freezing, but that's okay. It's a very, very chilly morning. Mm, it is yeah. really chilly morning. Yeah. Uh, I guess um, we're not going to be talking about the politics that's going on around this building at the moment. But no, <laughs> yeah, no, it's exciting times. There but, is yeah. a couple of people uh, leaving their posts. Yes, opening it's, up. It's, yep. No. Uh, it was the admin VP and the campaigns officer and postgrad officer all mm. up for uh, election. Yeah, are you standing? No, no. no? I, I'd like to announce this morning that I'm not going to stand. <laughs> um, no, no, definitely not. Fair enough, fair enough. But um, we're not covering that. We're covering things like the rental crisis in Aotearoa. Uh, rent prices are getting out of control um, with rents growing faster than wages over much of the country, uh, including Aotearoa. Um, where some of the highest yielding suburbs in the nation uh, can be found. Yeah. Um, five, uh, I think it was five out of the ten last time I, last time they bought out a thing that I could actually read about it, uh, five of the highest yielding suburbs um, at the top ten were in Aotearoa. Um, and it was in the poor regions of the city as well. Uh, demand for rentals are also skyrocketing, um, and we're uh, seeing more and more homeless people on our streets around the country, uh, and especially in Dunedin. Even in Dunedin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, how did we get to this point? It's quite scary to sort of think um, where we are today and look back a few, just a few years, and I think we've just seen a, a boom in our sort of population coming into the country. As well as sort of a um, a real slowdown in the like building of emergency housing, mm. um, and I just sort of look, look wee bit further afield to somewhere like Napier, where the government actually owns ninety five percent of the motels and hotels in the city to provide emergency housing, which is just crazy. That is and, crazy, and um, it's bizarre to think that we've got to this point. Um, and just sort of looking at. Um, even student rental prices have gone up considerably. Like my rent uh, for the flat that I'm currently in, it's currently 155, and then um, last year it was 140, and next year they're renting it out for 170. Yeah, nothing's changed. They haven't done anything to the flat. Of course not. Of course <laughs> no, not. the only thing that's improved is oh, people are willing to pay more. And um, what you're sort of seeing is in the student area, people getting driven away, but students pushed out in Dunedin in particular, sort of further afield, increases the rents in other areas because people go oh. Well, hang on, look, um, you know, we're currently renting at $80 a room here in St. Clair, but, I don't know, we can put that up to 120 now because students want to live here. And yeah. that's forcing people who don't necessarily have that option out of their homes. And it's, um, yeah, it's interesting, especially when you go beyond sort of just the student area and you realise, oh, wow, it's a whole New Zealand New Zealand problem, not just a student issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Net migration, of course, um, especially after the credit crunch. Yeah. financial crisis a lot of kiwis coming back mm. i think uh, made a, a bigger impact than um yeah. new, new migrants into the country yeah but a lot of kiwis coming back um and not just going to auckland but oh there's the fire alarm the fire alarm's going off currently wow we well that's us out of the building then uh, <laughs> <laughs> apologies to that <laughs> listeners Oh, oh wait, it stopped. It stopped. It must have just been a test. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, Since they leave on DJ Mega Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, so so that that has had massive, uh, you know, that's had a massive influence 
Uh, and we're not building the houses that we need to build. No. So, um, you know, so, so what do we do? How, how are we allowed it to continue and to get so much more worse? And, and where do we go to fix it? Is it time for massive government intervention? Because it seems to me like the market's not doing um, the job well, that they said they were going to do. Yeah, so currently I think the biggest issue we face is the time it takes to get a consent in New Zealand, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to look at Queenstown for an example, the average time turnaround is four years yeah. from when you first apply to when you can actually start building. And that's just too much. <laughs> so these people are trying to build rental properties. Um, and building this sort of like cheaper housing, it's sort of getting blocked at every step. And then people are going, oh, I don't want to have that in my neighbourhood. So then you get blocked again, so you have to fight to just be able to build a house. Yeah. Um, I think it is time for the government to step in and actually go, look, we're just going to be able to give you a fast track to build houses. So maybe they've got, you know, sort of standardised designs or standardised areas where you are just allowed to go, look, if you're building in Queenstown, Dunedin, Auckland, Wellington, then you can just, if you're building in these areas, with one of these designs, you just automatically get a consent as long as the building like is up to scratch with inspections and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it is just insane. I mean, the amount of red tape you have to go through is um, is a bit mad because it does dis- disincentivizes someone from actually building a house to rent out. Yeah. I mean, it's not very attractive right now. By now in Dunedin, we've got another big thing coming, which is the hospital built, and um, you're seeing a lot of people moving into the city already in anticipation, and that's really, I guess, driving up as well. If you've got sort of young tradies who are willing to pay that you know $400 a week for a studio room it's really really going to start pushing up the price it really is yeah so red tape's a big issue uh, at council level yeah um, so you, you think it's time for governments to c- take control over some of the consent process and maybe um, take it out of the hands of the environmental courts and stuff like that as well um, I, th- oh, I think the environmental court has a, a huge role to play so um, it sort of gets to a point where it's that's where it leaves the council hands. If it gets appealed to the Environment Court, then you know like a very correct decision is going to be made on it. Yeah, but, but it's packed. The Environmental Court's packed. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, but I think the council's got to be the ones who make the decisions most yeah. of the time. But I think councils are just very under-resourced, um, and perhaps they're you know spending a lot of their money on things they don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. But this could be a really big issue coming to local body elections as to where are the local councils going to push their resources. And um, we're sort of seeing, especially locally, um, the council, I don't know where a lot of the money gets spent, (laughs) but it it all gets spent. Um, The $272 million budget just seems to disappear. But, um, yeah, it's a funny one. And you just see, like, in Queenstown, there's five different um, people who can issue the consents. There's five people working in that office. Um, In Dunedin, I'm not sure the number, but I'm sure it's not too many more. Yeah. and maybe it's time to sort of ramp that up and maybe uh, even including sort of the the Minister of Urban Development to actually step in and do something about it. I know that he was looking in Auckland to getting rid of the urban um, boundary, mm-hmm. uh, which is the urban limit. Then I'd, I forget the real name of it. Um, but I just thought that was a wee bit crazy because we probably don't want to sprawl anymore. Yep. But perhaps it should be easier to start building up. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's true because they have put limits on building up in, in certain areas in Auckland. Plus, there's a lot of golf courses there. There are a lot of public golf courses. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is a lot of people have issues with that yeah. as well, taking yeah. away their golf courses. I can't remember how many there was last time I looked in Auckland, but it was a hell of a I lot. know that there's three in the Mangakiki electorate and two in the Te Atatua electorate and... None in the Teatro electorate have ever been touched because that's Phil Twyford's, but all the Mangakiki ones have been approached around getting rid of their 200-year lease they've got over the land. Mm-hmm. Um, they're paying, I think it's something like $500 a year 
for a 50-year lease or 100-year lease, which just seems insane. But especially when it's prime land in the middle of somewhere where it probably could be developed. Why? I mean, why isn't the government stepping in? And why didn't the previous government step in either? You know, is 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 there something in this that is uh, that they're scared of? You know, is it a political suicide? Um, yeah. to actually ramp up, um, you know, building up, especially in Auckland. Because yeah. a lot of people don't want that. No, no. Everyone in New Zealand, well, we've for so long, um, or Labour campaign on uh, delivering the Kiwi dream. I think that was one of their big campaign promises under Cunliffe. And you go, all right. <laughs> and then they've really kept that going into this government of every New Zealander deserves to have a home with a garden, with a, like, this, this, this. All these different things. You, everyone wants 1.5 children and a dog. And it just... It's not really the reality nowadays. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think looking forward, as a younger family, people need to start thinking, well, I'm going to be renting for longer or I'm going to have to buy, say, an apartment. And you're not going to necessarily have that sort of quarter-acre section um, that everyone dreams of until you're a wee bit older. And I think that the mentality in New Zealand of, look, I've started work now, time to save up for me to buy, you know, a quarter-acre section with a house in central Auckland, a walk away from my job. It's just not a reality, but we've been, like, hand-fed that for such a long time. Um, But I think um, what you're seeing now is just the number of jobs in New Zealand just decreasing month to month, and under national, over 10,000 jobs getting delivered every single month, and more and more people getting employed. Now you're seeing a real, real dip in that happening. We've reached almost full employment, but... Um, with less jobs being created, less people are being employed, therefore less people can actually afford to buy a home or rent somewhere mm-hmm. convenient. Uh, the the yeah. other interesting thing for me is like, lately we've seen a bit of a slowdown on house prices. Yeah. Uh, and somehow, you know, that's what we've been looking for and trying to get to for a long time, but somehow now that it's happening, it's an issue, it's a problem, and everybody's saying, look what's happening to the house prices. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crashing. <laughs> what's it's going on? Yeah, like, I mean, what, what do you want? Do you want, do you want yeah. it to stop, or do you want it to keep going? It's it's crazy. Um, so, what, I mean, what is National saying? They're, I know that recently they've said to the government, in terms of building homes, that, you know, use our expertise, but it's not like they did much. Yeah. When they were, you know, where's... They, yeah. They, they did stuff all when, the, when they were in there either, uh, as well. So yeah. um, what exactly is the National Party in the, in the Act and, and everybody else saying? I think um, one of the big areas that uh, National, and I know Act's really pushing it, is that um, like review of the Resource Management Act. Because the RMA is insane. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's an insanely hard act to get your head around. I've just recently pulled out of doing resource management law as a paper here. <laughs> just, just couldn't, couldn't find it interesting enough. And yeah. um, it's it's sort of gone. It's sort of an act that's just sort of grown and grown and grown. And you go, oh, we didn't think of that. And then they add another whole section in, and they go, oh, we didn't think of that either. So it's just sort of this massive, like I don't know, omnibus act, which really should just be you know brought straight back down to earth as to look, do you want to build a house? Yes. Um, does it affect your neighbours? Yes. No. Um, can you pay your neighbours to, or like, compensate your neighbours or your community to make up for this um, negative externality of your, building your property? Yes. No. Answer: No. You can't build it. Yes. Then you can build it. Yeah. And I just don't understand how it's got to this point. So I guess under national, it'll just be simplifying it and getting rid of the red tape, which sounds like a cliche, but it just needs to happen. I think uh, resourcing councils to be able to make those decisions as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess sort of, I think National's putting a lot of pressure on the Auckland Council elections currently um, for councils to actually commit to um, sort of you know, delivering some of these policies when they're in council. Yeah, but what about Dunedin? It's not like we don't have a lot of land. Exactly. You know? Well, we're, we're, we're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing lots of expansion sort of around Fairfield and, um, is it, yeah, Fairfield, 
and uh, Mosgiel, which is mm. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one day soon, we um, the airport might actually be within city. That'd be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I mean, this is something that affects every single yeah. Kiwi. So it's 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 nothing we can shy away from, and, and we've got to keep an eye on this. And of course, you were just talking about student rent. It's not like um, your back pockets being filled up every year. No. <laughs> the level of inflation or all rent rises not. and stuff yeah. like that. What about rent control? This is something I've always thought about. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have it in big cities in America, England, uh, yeah. and other places where, um, you know, rent can't go up past a certain point. Yeah. You know, is that something that we should probably have a look at in New Zealand? It's definitely something worthwhile because um, looking at it sort of in, I did a public economics paper. We looked at it as a really efficient way to sort of control like anything sort of going way beyond what inflation should really push it and sort of um, stop people being able to monopolise, which mm. is something you do want to stop. But um, I think sort of having a rent sort of control that's sort of naturally, um, if you take an example, say in New York, where if you have a rent control, lots of people sign, say, a 10-year lease mm-hmm. and say it's $100 a week or whatever it is per month for the 10 years. The person goes sweet, and then they'll sublet it for a higher price. Yeah, of course. Because why would they not? Because mm-hmm. of course you can, and um, that's sort of just the free enterprise we've got in our, in our economy. So I don't necessarily think rent controls work, um, unless we do have some really strict legislation around them, and they work really well on an economic graph. Where they work in reality is a whole other kettle of fish. But maybe we should bring in squatters' rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get a lot of free homes in Otago over summer. <laughs> that's very true. A lot of empty houses down here. That's uh, very true. Unfortunately, that's not when people necessarily need them. Um, well, we just talked about New York. Let's move on to US politics. Um, US elections next year. That's come around really quick. <laughs> Too quickly. <laughs> really quick. Yeah. Uh, so many Democratic uh, candidates. 25, I think. Yeah, 25 candidates. Or so. Or yeah. so. Um, I mean, why so many? Do they think that, you know, is this the, the year they think, wow, I mean, it's going to be hard-pressed for somebody not to beat Trump? Yeah, that's, I think, the thinking is, if I'm ever going to be president, it's going to be now. Yeah. So everyone's put their hand up, but really there's only, like, six contenders. Um, and I think... Looking at the heads-to-heads, I mean, there are only those those six people who could beat Trump in a head-to-head. Um, however, I think the the biggest issue that the Democrats are going to have to face is turning to states like Pennsylvania and um, what's it, Minnesota, and going, look, well, you guys both voted for Trump in the last election, which really swayed the whole election. Um, here's what we'll do if we're the president, and this is what we can deliver for you and what he hasn't done. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Trump paints a really good picture of he's done a whole lot of stuff yes. when he's done absolutely nothing. So he's doing his big election launch and uh, his campaign launch in sort of Orlando, Florida, really just, you know, hammering home that he's done all this amazing work when he's done none of it. But people believe it because no one fact-checks too much in America. You'll be quite scared to know that sort of like one-third of Americans watch Fox News as their main news yeah, source. And you yeah. go, all right, <laughs> this is quite scary. <laughs> um, but looking at the Democrat uh, sort of candidates, currently the, the front-runner is obviously Joe Biden. Yeah. And he is obviously, yeah, um, an interesting character. He's also 76. Um, the second top on that list is, I think it's now Elizabeth Warren, but mm-hmm. it used to be, she's oh, just turned, she's 69, just about to turn 70. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got Bernie Sanders as well, who's 73. So you've got a really, really old group, really old group sort of leading that sort of pack. But when you go and look at the next three, you've got Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, and Kamala Harris, who are all... Kamala Harris and Cory Booker are both in their fifties, and Pete Buttigieg is only thirty-seven, yeah, which is yeah. That's pretty amazing. incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's the mayor of sort of South Bend, Indiana, um, which is uh, which is Mike Pence's home state, which is a 
very interesting dynamic. I mean, he's an openly gay war veteran. Um, he's more experienced than the current president when it comes to running a sort of any kind of administration. So he's he's pretty pretty exciting candidate, I reckon. But yeah, who knows? Do you, do you think you know? Like, if you look at the primaries last time, Hillary and um, and Bernie, yeah, uh, and and a couple others. Do you th- do you think because they do? They, it is such a long campaign, and, and they do get pretty into it. Do you think that some people sometimes, if 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 my person loses, I'm not going to vote for the person that bet them. And yeah. that can be detrimental to to the candidates. This kind of yeah. how they do it in the states. Because a lot of Bernie voters, of course, at the last election, openly decided they're going to support Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And you just thought, oh, well, Gary Johnson's an idiot, and like <laughs> Jill Stein's a bit crazy. If you actually want to not get Trump to elected, then don't vote for them. Yeah. And you just got to look at like two states, like New Mexico, which um, swayed into vote for Trump, and that state, Gary Johnson um, got, I think. You know, 10% of the vote, and that 10% of the vote would have changed, swung the whole state for Hillary. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking people just really need to look at it more pragmatically and go, look, the goal of the 2020 election should be to beat Donald Trump. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the crux of it. Um, but there is that, obviously, that issue of the last election, I think Hillary Clinton's worst enemy was Bernie Sanders. I mean, he completely tore her to pieces in the, throughout her, his campaign to get the nomination. Then he lost, and it was like, oh, oh well. But he'd already exposed so much about Hillary, yeah, and sort of like put so much doubt in people's minds. They're going, oh, maybe she's just as bad as Trump, which she definitely wouldn't have been. But um, yeah, it was uh, it's interesting when you we you do have these primaries where you just attack each other. It's it's not really good for finding the best candidate, but it's good for finding the worst things about the other candidates. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And do you think you know? And the DNC was also the worst enemy last yeah. time too oh, you know I mean, I mean they had their they had an agenda yeah. and it seems like they've probably got an agenda again but yeah. they're not learning any lessons no they haven't haven't figured out what's how to actually win an election <laughs> <laughs> but good god um uh, so we've had a debate uh one person wasn't at oh we've had a couple of debates now yeah we? yeah so yeah. there's they had the the first they could only they had two debates one after each other sort of like last weekend and um it was 10 on one night and 10 on another night and you all had to be polling above um, 1% to be able to be on the debate so 5 people missed out Yeah, which oh. I think is a really good indicator of hey look you 5 should really you know buzz off <laughs> but it's it's interesting those first debates were um, yeah like you saw Beto O'Rourke from Texas uh, answer a question in Spanish and you saw everyone else speak Spanish on stage as well because they yeah. all felt they should so it's become a yeah a very very interesting. That was a very interesting first debate. Yeah, well that, that's an interesting thing then too. Like I mean, the um, Trump actually got a lot of Latino vote last time, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did. But they do make up a massive um, voting block now. Yeah, well, um, in the states, Trump sort of painted himself as the the man for the the evangelical Christian vote, and he's a staunch religious man, which makes absolutely no sense. And I think he's that's... Not. He's really not. He's the opposite. <laughs> he's very un-Christian, if um, that's a word. And it's a bit a bit scary when you sort of think of um, that he managed to paint himself in that picture. And, like, you know, 30% of Latino voters still voted for him. Mm. And you think, what? Like, this man's just, like, 
Yeah, it doesn't stand for any of those values that he just sort of puts out there. Where, where are the candidates kind of sitting on the spectrum? You know, I mean, we, we know where Bernie is and Elizabeth's kind of the same. Yeah. And Bernie did really well last time, so it kind of showed that some progressive politics yeah. can actually work it. Maybe it could be know, the way forward. You know, yeah. so, you know, are we seeing everybody like quite to the left in, in, of all the front runners, or are we seeing um, some kind of centrist or even right leaning? You're sort of seeing quite a few. Quite a few people who used to be sort of right-leaning, like Kamala Harris, who's a former um, state prosecutor and attorney general in California. Um, amazing woman. And she's sort of done a bit of a flip to, you know, try appeal to the left, despite having a very sort of more right-wing background as she's sort of gone through, like a very rule of law, tough on crime, to flipping and now going, oh, we should have health care for, um, for all, and um, all uh, legal immigrants should get free health care when they come here. And she's sort of hand-picked a few policies from um, sort of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and you sort of see a lot of candidates sort of uh, looking at that going well maybe that's the future but you've got someone like Joe Biden who <laughs> doesn't really have much policy but he is running a hard line of sort of straight down the middle <laughs> he's yeah. not going to commit to a lot of things he's like I don't believe in free health care I'm not going to change anything about student loans I'm not going to do anything about this I'll probably increase military spending so he's sort of just running a line of I'll beat Donald Trump and yeah. that's about all I'll do um, which is a, uh, an interesting line to run but he's he's doing it and um, I think those sort of people who are just running that hard line will be the ones who do better for the Democrats but you are seeing that sort of shift of sort of I almost think tokenism taking of these sort of very left policies but even some like Pete Buttigieg who is running a very straight line he's a good young Christian but he's also gay Hmm. He's served in the military, but he doesn't want to be an interventionist. Uh, interventionist. <laughs> so, yeah, it's become an interesting... Yeah, it's, it's very, very, very hard to pick as to where they all sit on the spectrum. Except, yeah. obviously, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, yeah. and the rest sort of sit on the right, but pick a couple of policies, which they go, oh, I'll do them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's funny, I mean, is Joe... Like, if Joe does get through, will Joe... It seems to me he'll be easier for Trump to attack because yeah. he's that whole swamp thing again, you know? He is. He's the swamp. He had been into the Senate for 30 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, he worked with segregationists. <laughs> like, he's that old. Like, there's so <laughs> many things that you're sort of seeing there going, wow, we. Um, I'm not sure what, what to really yeah, think of him there. And he gets called Sleepy Joe, Touchy Feely Joe, all these terrible names. And you just go, maybe he... he He's got the most baggage of all the candidates. Yeah. That's the easiest way to put it. Yeah, he most certainly does. Um, all right, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And like we said, it's not that far away. Um, I'd, what, it's usually November, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, next, um, sort of this end of this year, we'll probably be whittling down to the candidates. I think November's when they had that first Iowa race, which is where that separates the, the real candidates from the others. Yeah. And then from there, it sort of leads right into the DNC midway through next year, which by that point, everyone except one would have pulled out usually unless yeah. you're Bernie Sanders and last time he didn't pull out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> go Bernie go uh, alright thank you Vivian it's been good thank pleasure you. always a pleasure never a chore that's right it's one of my favourite sayings here's yeah. Beach Weird this was a Radio 191 FM podcast you can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found